the first chapter. And if you have a large print Bible, the King James, if, if you'll turn to Jeremiah 1 and bring that Bible to me, I'd like to use it for a minute. I tried to use Pastor Rhonda's, but she's got so many notes, sticking stuff in there, I couldn't, I couldn't get the book of Jeremiah. And this one here, uh, I don't know who this was made for, probably someone that has the ability to see miles away because it's scary, I can't see. No, I, I had glasses somewhere. Did I lay them down? If you guys really had faith, you'd pray that God would heal pastor's eyes so he wouldn't have to use glasses everything he does. Oh, here there. I thought for a minute the rapture took place. Jeremiah, the first chapter, the ninth verse. We have been focusing, and this will be our third week, and if you've missed any of these uh, lessons, you can go to podcasts. We want to say hello to our podcast audience. Uh, several are, have been tuning in on Sunday afternoon. Austin's been posting it, and uh, we want to share that with you. And we thank, we thank God for the doors he's opening. We did not know this week, this past week, that we were going to be on Daystar nine times. But nine times this week, we touched 137 countries, 150 million people, thousands of marriages that are in trouble, many that are hooked on drugs. And this week, they heard a positive report that there is hope for anybody that's hooked on drugs. There's hope, there's hope for anybody that has a bad marriage. God has the ability to turn that around and, and bless that. And we thank God for that opportunity. How many saw it at all? You saw it once, twice, two or three? Good. Again, we don't know when they're going to air it, so there's no way to do an e-blast. Uh, I went on Facebook Friday and told people that we were on, and different ones, I think, tried to catch it. But we thank God for Daystar, and the doors is open for uh, Pastor Ron and I. Today, as we look, how to get from where I'm at to where I want to be, we have been sharing three different lessons. This will be the third lesson this morning on that. I don't want to spend a lot of time in review, but I want you to know that you can get to where God wants you to be with the help of God. Philippians 4 and 13, probably the most powerful statements in the New Testament, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. We know that God wants to strengthen you through joy. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength, and God wants to strengthen you with peace, because the peace that passes all understanding, God wants you to walk in and God wants you to enjoy. As we look at some of the past uh, few weeks, we've, we've encouraged you to take 100% responsibility for your own actions. From day one, we have been making excuses why we do what we do. When God confronted Adam, the head of the house, he blamed the woman. When God talked to the woman, she blamed the snake. The snake didn't have anybody to blame, but he's the one that got cursed and got judged. But it is our nature, if we're not careful, to always make excuses why things go wrong. My parents, had we had church four times a week. Friday night was a lot of our football games. I was not allowed to play football because we went to youth service, and I don't resent that in any way, shape, or form. But I did run varsity track two years. I ran the, I ran the last leg on the mile relay. And it seemed like every time I got the baton, we were behind. Can anybody relate? I've watched, I've, watched, I've watched kids two years of, of high school. I've watched kids make excuses. I've watched kids fake injuries. I've, I've watched them say that they were, they, were, they were tired, they were winded. They always had a reason. And when they lost the race, they always limped like they got wounded. Anybody ever seen anybody like that? 
Well, my attitude, my attitude was I just put that Ben Gay that burns a dog out of you, I just put on my thighs, put in my chest, the, the gun went off, and I was, I was around the track. I could go all the way around the track one time in 53 seconds. Look at someone say that was pretty fast. I was pretty fast for a white boy. I mean, I, I blew out the door. But all my life, I've watched people, when things go wrong, they seem to blame somebody or something else. They blame their culture. They blame their color. They blame their doctrine, their denomination. I even know that there are people that blame their potty training. I mean, their first great accomplishment got flushed. I mean, that could crush anybody. I heard of a guy that stopped going to a football game because every time they got in a huddle, he thought they were talking about him. I mean, we, 20 minutes later, whoa, everybody's like, the huddle, never, never mind. And by the way, I bind Pastor Bryce's words. I believe, I believe the Steelers all the way by 13. The Steelers all the way by, by 13, I believe that. So we take, we take 100% responsibility for everything that, that we do. We don't make excuses. When the banquet was announced and friends were invited, one friend said, I can't go. I got a job. I got to go check it out. Another one said, I can't go. I, got, I bought a pair of oxen. I need to go and check it out. One guy said, I got married. I can't go. I got to go check it out. And, then, and the Lord said, okay, I'm not going to deal with excuses. I'm going to invite whosoever will come. And there might be people in your life that were supposed to do great things for God and they didn't do it. But guess what? God can take that anointing, that favor, and that blessing and place it on you. How cool would that be if, if, if you just were able to do your ministry and someone else's? Anybody, anybody with me there on that? So, n number one, stop making excuses. The second thing that we brought to your attention was a rocking chair will give you something to do, but doesn't get you anywhere. How many of you growing up as kids, you had a rocking horse? Where's our rocking horse kid? You, you had your, and, you were, and you would ride that rocking horse probably for hours, weeks, days, months, as long as your mom would let you stay on it. But we learned that a rocking chair, there is motion, but there is no activity. A worry is like a rocking chair. Worry gives you something to do, but doesn't accomplish anything. But then we learned that 90% of everything that we worry about never comes to pass, so maybe we should worry more often. In the, in the rocking horses, we found that there is the show horse. A lot of people do things only when there's recognition. Then we know that there's the wild horse. Some people are so wild and crazy and out of order, they don't bless anybody. And then you got the hobby horse. You got people that love their hobbies more than they love doing the things of God, and therefore the things of God go dormant. Think of somebody and say, he's not preaching at me. He's preaching at somebody else. The third thing that we had to learn and come to grasp with is the, is the fact that you have got to define, outline, describe, and identify with the purpose in your life. Look at somebody and say, I need purpose. Life without purpose, say that to somebody. Life without purpose is a race without a finish line. How boring would that be? How frustrating would that be? That, that you never did, you, you pressed towards the mark, but you never, you never reached it. You never got it. You never got to the end of the journey. Not, you never got the trophy. You never got the reward. You never heard anybody say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. There's got to be goals in your life. And ever since that we have been born, how many of us have been born? All of us, most of us, been, there, no one's hatched. Those, those of us that were born, when we were children, we knew exactly what we wanted. Can you relate? I remember as a single evangelist and two years married, 
We see kids do things at restaurants and do things at Walmart. We say, we will never let our kids do that. Where's, where's, where's my, well, you see somebody's got, I mean, kids act like a monster. We will never let our kids do that. And then when you got married, you got kids, you let your kids do pretty much anything they want to do. Come on, help me. I mean, they, the kids know what they want in life. They know when they want the blinky. They know when they want the bottle. They know when they want the blanket. They know when they want your attention. I watched a mom yesterday in Cook's. Uh, her, I mean, her child was going completely nuts, wanted everything in the store. And she, and she threatened this child like three major times. And I looked at her and I said, well, you're going you're gonna to talk about it or are you going to do it? She, I mean, she's, she's telling this kid, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang you up by your toenails if you don't. You know, I'm going to slap you around with a baseball bat. And this poor kid, the more that mom said, the more they begin to scream. Because kids, once they get in their mind what they want, they're going to go after it. Can anybody relate? I remember, I remember in the day of v- VHR... I remember our, our, our video player did not work, so there was a place in town that fixed it. So we went and took it to town, and lo and behold, someone had put a butter knife in the video player. I wonder who that was. I've I, I watched Court and we've shown her take a fork and stick it in the, in the socket. It's a miracle it didn't kill her, but she felt power. She felt that, that surge that later as a teenager she discovered serving God. So when you think of some of the things your kids did, Christine never crawled. Does anybody know a baby that never crawled? She never, she never crawled. She scooted. And she could get from point A to point B quicker than you could, than you could do this, the 50-yard the dash. I mean, she, was, she saw something she wanted. She'd pull it down on her. Now, sometimes that's a negative. I have a cousin that when he was six years old, he reached up and pulled the cord of the coffee pot and, and, and poured the coffee on him. That was a, that was a bad day, but he, he's alive. He's, he's okay. He, he made it through. No scars. So as children, we know exactly what we want. But then when we get older in life, People start talking, talking us out of what we want. There, there are people that, let me say this very carefully, there are people in my life that never were good athletes. But for some reason, they wanted to relive their failures in their children's lives. I've watched, I've watched parents scream at coaches. I've, I, know, I know school teacher, I know school teacher that the, the parents were so negative and so critical and, and, and that this school teacher resigned as a teacher and went, did something else with their life. So I don't know who's been speaking into your life, who's been encouraging you what you can or cannot do, but there's got to be some things in your life that in your heart and spirit, you know, that, that you know they're in there and you got to feed them. I mean, up until the age of 13, I wanted to be James Bond. But then someone told me at the age of 13, there was no Santa Claus and there was no James Bond. Well, that rocked my world. Then I said, I want to be a lawyer. So all my, all my, all my teenage years, all my college years, I wanted to be a lawyer. Can you imagine me a lawyer? Anybody? I think I'd be a good court lawyer, but I don't think I'd be a good study lawyer. But that, that, that was what I wanted to do. When I went, I got a scholarship for college. That's what I majored in. I majored in law for two years. I said, I'm going to be a lawyer. But first, I'm going to be a California Highway Patrolman and ride the Harley, uh, full, uh, what, what we, full body, what's it called, Paul? No, no, no what, which one was it that we saw yesterday? The Harley, the, 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 the Highway Patrol. Yeah. Road King. Where's my Road Kings people? Now, in 73, I rode a Sportster. That, that heart is much worthless. It, it rattled you to death. But a Road King, I think that would be a pretty good thing to do for three or four years. Well, obviously, God had other plans for me than to be a lawyer or a California Highway Patrol. And I was glad for the interruption. At the age of 16, I knew that God's hand was upon my life. At the age of 18, I felt like that I was supposed to be involved in ministry. But for seven years, actually nine years, I ran from the call of God. 
Aren't you glad I got back on track? Aren't you glad that Pastor Rhonda was silly enough to marry me twice? Somebody said yesterday, I saw your testimony. Your wife married you twice. I said, yes, and I'll marry her three times if I get the chance. <laughs> so how faithful is God to kind of nudge us in the area that he put in our heart and spirit? Go with me, if you will, to Jeremiah, the first chapter. Who's got my King James translation big letters? Anybody? Let's do, uh, what, are you, what are you reading? What version you got? Study Bible? This will work. <laughs> Go to the verse called four. The Lord spoke his word to me saying, before I made you in your mother's womb, I chose you. Before you were born, I set you apart for a special work. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Then I said, but Lord God, I don't know how to speak. I am only a child. And the Lord said to me, don't say I'm only a child. You must go everywhere I send you, and you must say everything I tell you to say. Don't be afraid of anyone because I am with you to protect you, says the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth. And he said to me, see, I'm putting my words in your mouth. Today I put you in charge of nations and kingdoms. You will pull up, tear down, destroy overthrow, build up, and plant. How many knows is God's purpose in, in your life to build up and plant? How many of God's an encourager? How many, how many knows he's a reward of them that diligently seek him? But there could be some strongholds in your life that God wants to tear down, pull up, and destroy, and then seed and build into you. Our thought this morning, our third session this morning that, I, that I'd like to talk about this morning is the fact that everything God touches, he changes. Everything God touches, he changes. I walked through the Old Testament, the New Testament, the past couple of days, and I, first of all, was, was drawn to the second chapter of Genesis. And you know the story, that God spent six days and restored the earth. He didn't create anything new. He just restored what once was. And on the sixth day, God created two things. He created a whale, which they say has just as much intelligence as we do, but have never aborted a calf or built a nuclear bomb. Just a thought. And God created man. And glory, do you remember how God created man? The Bible says there was a dew that came up from the earth, and God reached down in that dew, in that, in that clay, and took some clay, and he formed it, and he spoke to it, and he breathed his DNA on it, and man became what? A living soul. Can you, can you imagine, or can you realize and understand that you and I are custom made? There's no two of us alike. Just as there are no two snowflakes that are alike, there are no two fingerprints that are just alike. When God made you, he threw away the mold. Look at someone and say, praise God, there's not two of me out there. But there's nobody like you. When God, when God made Adam, God made Adam with a pile of mud and some, and some, and some DNA, and he raised him up, and he, and he anointed him, and ordained him to do what? Have dominion over everything. And the one thing that Adam had a challenge with was pride. And because of pride, we see that Adam and Eve lost what God had for them. 
Are you glad today that God has raised us up to take back what the enemy has stolen and to become what God wants us to be in our life? Somebody say, amen, I am glad. I walked through the scriptures and saw a couple of things here that I wanted to bring to your attention. As we talked about defining goals and making goals in our life, it probably wouldn't be wise for you to say, before the year is over, I'd like to be able to speak and translate and write perfect Hebrew. How many of those probably you won't accomplish that this year? Probably your goal th- this, this morning should not be, you know, before the year is over, I'm going to memorize the entire New Testament. How, how many said that would be like uh, probably a goal that you could not accomplish? But how many knows that you can declare and say, before February 5th, I am going to lose five pounds? Or those of you like me, by February 5th, I'm going to gain five pounds because you don't care whether you lose or whether you gain. Come on, help me. You can eat whatever you want no matter what people says about you. Are you, th- are you there with me? How, ma- how many knows that there are, there are goals in your life that you can accomplish if you would just make up your mind to do one of them? Look at somebody and say, aim small, miss small. I've shared it from the pulpit so many times. One of my favorite movies, The Patriot, where Mel Gibson's son was taken by the, by the British and they were going to take him and assassinate him. And Mel got his two little children. One was five, one was six, a boy and a girl. They got three muzzleloaders. They began to ambush this regiment. And right before they ambushed the regiment, Mel looked at his kids and said, aim small, miss small. And, and you, know, you know the fact that when you're sighting in a gun, you don't want to shoot at the side of a barn. You want to shoot at something very small, very particular. Yesterday, we went to the ranch, and we had a little 22 a semi-automatic pistol, and, and we had a 22 rifle. And so I proceeded to go off about 100 yards from the deck, and I filled this jug up with water, and I set it on the, the little wall. And Paul looked at me and said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm, I'm going to shoot that, that, that jar. He said, you'll never shoot that jar. I said, sure I will. So I went back, and I got on the deck, and there's a little tiny round symbol on this. On this it was like a, a, juice, a juice plastic jug about that big full of water, and there's a little symbol on it. And so I put this, the sights of that 22 on that little symbol, and guess what? Missed the symbol, but it hit the jug. And Paul said, my God, you hit it. And then we, we set it up, we let Dave Williams hit it. And then we was going to let Dante hit it, but he instead shot the pistol. We got, we got a target yesterday from about here to where glory is, and we got a box, and on that box we, took, we put two matchsticks, just like that. And I told Dante, I said, aim at the matchstick. How close did he get? quarter of an inch i mean he almost lit the match i mean how cool is that but but last week i told him dante just hit the chair i mean most of us could probably hit a chair except tyler but the rest of us can probably pretty much shoot at a chair i mean ever taken a pistol just shot a chair well pastor why would you shoot a chair well the only thing that we had that was close by that we could use for our target well he shot the chair five times so guess what we did we let him take the chair home and now that's his trophy he has officially killed the chair I'll bet you nobody else in here has killed the chair. Help, help me there if you're with it. Aim small, miss small. Tough crowd today, Pastor Rhonda. I'm glad, I'm glad that you're on it next, next week. One of the points that I made before we will go into what God touches is don't let anyone talk you out of your vision. Can anybody relate? Do everything up where God's finger touches the... Did you guys see this? I mean, how cool is this? Everything God, t- there it is. Everything God, would you, would you just identify this morning that one of those hands belongs to God? 
and one of those hands belongs to you. And God does not want you to leave this house today without touching you. Can you possibly grasp today that before you were in your mother's womb, God knew your gender? Before you in your mother's womb, God knew your destiny? God knew everything about you. He knew everything that you'd become. David said in Psalm 119, while I was in my mother's womb, you formed me, you crafted me, you designed me. Every thought I would ever think, every word that I'd ever speak, every phrase that would come from my mouth, every action I would ever be involved in, God, you, you knew that. You formed all of that. God has a destiny in mind for you, and the destiny he has in mind for you is a cross. And once you make it to the cross, you don't start over, you start again. All of a sudden, old things are passed away, all things are become new, despite the failures, despite the mistakes, despite the arguments, despite the wrong things you did to your body, the wrong things you did with other people. When you come to the cross, in the shadow of the cross, you got the same dirt of, of, of creation that God had at Calvary. All, everything is washed away, and you have an opportunity to start all over again. Does that excite anybody? And when you come to that place and you begin to, you begin to read this, this, this book because God is hiding things, not from you, but for you. This book is alive. And as you begin to read it, something will jump out in you and you'll realize that God wants you to have peace. God wants you to have victory. God wants you to have freedom. God wants you to have abilities and talents. And as you begin to read about what God wants you to have, you begin to put people around you, hello, that will celebrate you and people that will build you up and encourage you. Am I helping anybody? The night I gave my heart to God, or let me rephrase that. The night I made a decision, I was going to serve him the rest of my life, and I was never going to look back. That next day, I got on the phone. And I called three or four of my dear friends. And you know what I realized about most of my friends, Kenny? The guys that I did drugs with, I had absolutely nothing in common except drugs. Now, cousins were different. Cousins, we, we grew up together, we played ball together, went to concerts together, we camped together. But most of the people in my life that I did drugs with, when I got saved, we had absolutely nothing in common. And I called my friends. I said, listen, I'm not better than you. I'm not more holy than you, but I am a drug addict. And I got to stop coming around because drugs has taken my marriage, taken my business, taken my health, taken everything. I'm, 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 I'm living with a, I'm sleeping with a loaded pistol. I'm sleeping with the lights on. I'm in paranoia. I'm, I'm hallucinating. And I cannot be around you anymore. And it wasn't that I was better than them, but I knew that if I went there, I was going to do what they were doing. Does that help anybody? The week after I gave my heart to God, my two friends, we all partied together. We did everything together. We had just bought a chunk of hash sold it, dispersed it, so that we would have drugs. The week after I gave my heart to God, my two friends, armed, sold $60,000 worth of marijuana to the Anaheim Police Department. They didn't intend to sell it to the police department. It was a sting. And had I been involved in it, and if I were to say their names, you would know them. There's a, there, are two al there are two alcoholic drinks named after this family. They had millions. Their dad owned 67 liquor stores in Southern California. They had the ability to pay thousands of dollars for a lawyer, and they still went to prison. I, being a preach kid, preacher's kid, no money, journeyman carpenter, that's all the money I had, I would have sat in prison for years for that one, that one event that I was involved in. 
But God said to me, get the people out of your life that are not encouraging you, that can't help you, that can't build you up. Put those people on the back burner and pursue the things of God. And you know what I started doing? I started living at the church from Saturday night till about 10 or 11 till Sunday morning about 8 or 9. Pastor Bryce, we would go to a place called Shoney's Big Boy. And Shoney's Big Boy, one cup of coffee was like 75 cents, and you could have like 100 cups on that 75 cents. So three of us would go, and we would drink about 81 cups of coffee, and then we'd go to church, and we'd pray all night. Oh, yeah. And, and, and we'd, we'd play the piano. We'd sing. I told you about getting a chair and asking God to ask to project Pastor Rhonda from Cleveland to Southern California. And, that, and that's what we do. We, so, so I surrounded myself with, with people that wanted to pray. Every church that had a meeting, I went to. I'm telling you, every single revival, I didn't care what denomination it was, if there was a meeting, if there was a revival, if there was a service, I went to it. I began to memorize scripture. I, I changed the people I hung out with. I changed the things that I, I put in my life. My life had ACDC, Van Halen, and, and, and Jethro Tull. That was, the, that was, that was kind of what, what fed me. But every morning at 6 a.m. when I headed towards the closet to get dressed, I may have been out all night doing coke, but when I went to go change at 6 o'clock in the morning, all of a sudden my bedroom was, was just completely immersed with that song, On a Hill Far Away, Stood an Old Rugged Cross. Come to find out that my grandmother, every morning at 6 a.m., got up for two years and prayed for me. And every time she would pray, God would send that, those, those hymns. God would send that music. And although that I was trying to live my life like there's no tomorrow, I was running with the devil. In my heart of hearts, I knew I was called for a higher purpose. God had something better for me. But I had to make the decision to shut down all the environment that was bad and surround myself with all the environment that was good. Somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Because that's where you're at right now in Jesus' name. The second touch that I want to make, make you aware of, and I, I believe it's for every person in this house that feels like you have a past. If you have a past, you have a testimony. But in the mother's womb, Jacob and, and Esau were not friends. They were wrestling around in, in the tummy. I don't know, Dan, if you can relate to that, because only one of them, hopefully there's only one in there, right? But... but uh, Rebecca was so much was so much troubled by what was going on in her pregnancy she called out to God and God told her there's two nations at war in your tummy and the younger shall shall rule the older I know the story when Esau was being born Jacob reached out and grabbed Esau by the ankle and tried to drag him back in the womb you you read it it's there and so they tied a string around Esau's wrist so they know who the firstborn was when Esau came out of the womb Jacob was born a few minutes later it was Jacob's will, his whole life, and his mom's will, their whole life, to try to steal Esau out of his birthright. Because Jacob was a mama's boy. And mama pushed Jacob. And, and mama motivated Jacob. And mama helped Jacob deceive the dad. They tied the skins. You know the story. Well, because he stole his brother's birth, birthright, his brother's going to kill him. So Jacob runs off in the, in, the, in the middle of the night. And he goes to his uncle's house. You know the story. He works 14 years for the... For the bride, his wages were changed seven times. His uncle was not fair. He, was, he, was a, he tried to cheat him. He tried to rip him off. And Jacob gets away from his uncle, takes all of the possessions, and heads back towards his father's house. He hears that Esau is coming, and he makes an, he makes an altar, and he begins to pray. And the Bible says that as he begins to pray, God shows up. And all night long, God is wrestling with Jacob, and Jacob is wrestling with God. And then when the sun began to dawn, God said, I got to go. And Jacob said, I'm not letting go <coughs> until you bless me. God simply reached over and touched the hip of Jacob. 
And from that day forward, he was a changed man. He walked different. He talked different. His name was changed from Jacob to Israel. The word Jacob means deceiver. It means con artist. It, 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 means, it means supplanter. It wasn't really a good name for, for him to have in all of his life. When you call that his name, he said, hey, deceiver. Hey, supplanter. Hey, de hey de 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 every time his name was called. But God said, no longer is your name called Jacob. Now your name is called Israel, which means house of God, favor of God. I mean, how cool is that? When you meet God at a place called Calvary, there is a new name written down in glory. That name has changed. Old things are passed away. All things become new. It's a whole brand new life, a brand new family, a brand new lifestyle, brand new opportunity. Every day of your life is different when you come to know Jesus Christ. And how cool is that? So no matter what your past has been, no matter what, who you've hurt or who you've wounded, when you touch God and experience God, God has got another plan. God has got another place for you. And it was through the loins of Jacob, the 12 sons, the Israeli nation was birthed, and millions of Jews were in Egypt, came out in the promised land. Why? Because one man decided, I'm not letting go of God until he blesses me. And then we used to have a, a statement about the horns of the altar, that we would, that we would hang on to the horns of the altar. And you, had to, you had to tear us away. I wish that there was such a hunger in the things of God that we couldn't turn the lights off at 1 o'clock Sunday afternoon, that at 2, 3, 4 o'clock there would still be people in the altars calling out to God, asking God for help. I would pray that our Monday night meeting would go from 13 to 30, that guys would not want to leave the place of God, but they want to pray until they felt a touch from God, that every Wednesday night the youth would have to carry them out and, and put them in the, in the vehicles and drive them home because they're intoxicated in the Holy Ghost and they prayed in the glory and the presence of God. I would pray that every single drug rehab, every single teen challenge, every single place that's trying to turn people around, that God would get so much involved in their life, they begin to call out to God, that God would come and set them free, anoint them, and send them to the nations of the world. We've got a nation that's bound, that's in trouble. What we see happening in Egypt could very easily be happening in Los Angeles, California. People are unhappy, but only Jesus can satisfy our soul and the things that we desire from God. Would you give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning? I think about that, that moment in Isaiah's life. Isaiah's uncle was the king, and he was a great king. And Isaiah got his eyes off the things of God for a season, got his eyes on his uncle. He had carte blanche. Everywhere he went, he was a king's nephew. Everybody gave him favor. But the king dies. And when the king dies, Isaiah goes back into God's presence. And Joanne, sure enough, right where he left God, there, there was God. God had not left his throne. God had not left his presence. Je Isaiah begins to see the, the, the seraphims. Two, two, two wings cover their face. Two wings cover their feet. Two wings they fly. And they cry out one to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And as these powerful angels begin to declare God's goodness, the, 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 Shekinah, the Shekinah glory of God fills the house with, with God's glory and God's favor. And, and Isaiah witnesses all of this. And, and Isaiah calls out and says, I am a man of unclean lips. I, I am unclean, and the people that I'm hanging around with are unclean. And Isaiah all of a sudden has an encounter with God. And the angel of God comes and takes the coal from the altar and touches the lips of Isaiah. Do you remember? 
And then Isaiah answers the question. The question is asked, who shall go for God saying, who shall go for me? Who shall go set the captive free? Who shall go and witness and, and share their story? And, and Isaiah, after encountering God's glory and being touched by God, he said, send me, I will go to the nations. I will be that light in a dark place. I will be that voice crying out in the world. I'll be that salt that makes people thirsty. I will do what you've called me to do. I'll step up the plate and I'll be what you want me to be. Why? Because his mouth got touched. The moment, the second, the nanosecond, that you stop talking negative, critical, bitterness, strife, and you start talking and repeating what God says about you and repeating what God says about your friends and loved ones, your life will change. We have a nation that's dying and going to hell. I'm not talking about going out on the sidewalk and, and get a Bible and, and read Revelation. That is such a turnoff. Every time we go to Hawaii, two things happen to me, and Pastor Ron will tell you, Chris, we'll walk the streets, and I've got that face that looks like it needs drugs. I've got that face that looks like I'm, I'm just a drug addict because no matter where we were in, it, we were in Cairo, Egypt with Marcus and Joni, I get off the bus, and the guy goes, you want to buy some hash? And I said, how much? And John Price said, Hank, I said, well, I, I want to stay up with the market value of, of, of what's going on. Every time, every time we go to Hawaii, a guy will say, hey, Buy some reefer, reefer, and I'll go. And, and Pastor Ross says, "No, you don't want to buy any reefer." And there's a guy every, every Waikiki right there on the corner got this Bible, and he's reading. He's reading all of the negative prophecies, all the hell damnation, and and he's and he's and he's and he's and he's can't hardly talk anymore. And I told Pastor Ron, "That's a poor impression of what the church is all about." We're supposed to love the hell out of them, not scare the hell up out of them. They are to see us different. They're to see us full of compassion, full of mercy. Come on, somebody help me there. They need to see a church that loves them, does not condemn them and put them down. Isaiah's life was changed. Listen, when you encounter God, your life will be changed. I have watched for years people stand in their soapboxes and preach against abortion and preach against drugs. But I'll tell you what, to be what God wants you to be, you've got to come down off your soapbox. You take that young lady that's pregnant into a home. You feed her, clothe her, support her until she has the baby. Help her get a job. Help her pay her fines. Help her pay all the negatives in her life. It's easy to shout, don't abort, but it's not so easy to walk somebody through and see a life brought to this earth. Church of the Harvest is responsible for dozens of lives that did not abort, that they had their children because we stood behind them and supported them. Oh, it's easy to point your finger and say, well, I never drank, I never smoked, I never did drugs, I'm, I'm all that in a bag of chips. No, what, what you're really about, if you're really all of that, then you're proof to people that they can live their life clean. You're proof to people that you can live your life healthy and whole and have things. You can actually have stuff. You can have a car. You can have a house. You can have toys. You can have a basketball. Your life is a light to others that say, if you follow God, this is what God wants you to have. Come follow me as I follow Christ. That's, that's, the, that's the attitude that God wants us to have. Isaiah's whole life was changed. Send me to the nations. Here I am. Send me to the nations. I think about Jeremiah before he went his mother's womb. I've, I've spent a lot of time with gender-challenged people. I'm telling you something. God did not make a mistake when he, when he made you. God did not put a woman in a man's body. God did a man in a woman's body. That's our environment. That's the world that we live in. That's the world that says, do, if, you, if you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. It's the world that says, if, if it's, your, it's your thing, do what you want to do. That's the environment of the world. You can live your life however you want to live it. But I'm here to tell you, Jeremiah said, before 
I was in my mother's womb. He knew my gender. He knew my name, and he knew my ministry. God does not make mistakes. No matter how messed up somebody is, they can turn that thing around, come back to God, find out what God has for them, and then begin to pursue it, catch it, and be it. In Jesus' name. I think about as we're looking at the touches, I'm, I think about when Daniel, in the 10th chapter, felt the hand of God on his life. And Daniel begins to prophesy about Israel, begins to prophesy about Great Britain, begins to prophesy about America. About 2,800 years ago, Daniel sees a lion roar. And as that lion roars, a man steps out of his mouth, and that man has eagle wings. And we know as you study prophecy, he's talking about the ten toed, the ten nations of the world at the last days that would join the pact with the Antichrist. But Daniel begins to prophesy about a nation called Great Britain. And that nation's gonna, gonna roar and protest, and, and in protest, a nation's gonna be birthed. How many knows America was birthed in protest? It was called a Tea Party. How many knows that Christopher Columbus came here for one reason, one reason only? That was to find a place where we could worship God. And as he stuck his flag in that sand, he said, I dedicate this country to the Queen of Spain and the Lord Jesus Christ. We were birthed out of protest. We were a people that did not want to serve the God of the Queen. We don't want to serve that, that religion, that dead, dry, dormant, staunchy religion. But we wanted to worship him in spirit and in truth. And when they came from the different places of the world and came to America and started setting the colonies, and they would have a prayer meeting, guess what would happen? The power of God would come upon them so powerful that they would begin to shake. That's why they were called Quakers. Our nation was birthed on prayer prayer. Our nation was birthed on a move of God. Our, our nation was birthed on the, on the Penta, the Nina, and the Santa Maria. Someone that had the guts to get in the ship and said, I don't believe the world is flat. I believe it's round, and I'm going to find a place where I and my children can worship God. Aren't you glad you're a part of this great nation that's not afraid to pray? Thank God that, that, that Daniel prophesied to us that we would be a nation. America comes forward. We don't have a queen. We have a president. We, we're about to have a, a queen president. I believe Sarah Palin could possibly be the next president. Wouldn't that be cool? Three of you. Good. We're working on you. <laughs> With Ingalls wings. Ben Franklin wanted the turkey to be our national representation. He said the eagle was lazy. Didn't understand how the eagle, every time he made a swoop, he stored up solar power in his wings. He'd go into second heaven and, and survive freezing cold weather. Why? Because he had made those swoops. He wasn't lazy. He was smart. That we chose the eagle to be our, our, our mascot. We didn't go to the word of God and Daniel say, hey, Daniel says that we're going to be a president with eagle's wings. No, men decided that not even knowing what the word of God had to say. Aren't you glad that we were destined to touch this world and to be what we are, to live where we live? Sudan, they've just reported two million people have been murdered in the Civil War. Aren't you glad that you're not Sudan? Aren't you glad that you're not North Korea? Aren't you glad that you weren't there in, in, the, in, the, in the earthquake of Haiti? Aren't you glad you weren't a part of the tsunami? Aren't you glad that God has spared you and placed you where you, where you have and given you all the blessings you have? We are, a, we are, compared to the rest of the world, we're a healthy nation. We're a blessed nation. All of, all of the nation today, people are gathering, worshiping God and praising. Listen, all of, all of America is not going to hell in a handbasket. There's a lot of good things happening in the nation. But the challenge is, evil prevails when good men do nothing. It's time for us not just to come to church on Sunday morning. It's time for us to bring some food, to, to bring some groceries, to have a prayer meeting, to give away hot chocolate, to go to Mercy's house, to go to Hope House, to go to these different ministries and start making a difference in somebody's world. We're fed up to here. We're fat. We're lazy. We've got all this stuff in us. We need to get it out, expunge ourselves so we can be filled with other things that God has for us. He's not done blessing you. 
He's not done anointing you and teach. There's levels upon levels upon levels, glory to glory, from, from place to place, from event to event. And some of us are happy with last year's me, and that's where we camp. But God said, the moment you try to store up Sunday, what you're supposed to gather Saturday, all that becomes stale and dormant. There's a hunger. That's why 20,000 people would meet in Chattanooga, young people at the ramp, to worship God and to praise God and touch God. That's why 10,000 kids would march on, the, on Washington's Capitol and say, we're against drugs and alcohol and abortion. We want God's power to be felt. There's a revival getting ready to break through, and I want to be a part of it. Amen. I think about the touches of Christ. In Matthew 8 and 3, the touch of leprosy. Matthew 8 and 15, he broke the fever. Matthew 9 and 29, he healed the guy with blinded eyes. Matthew 14, 36, as, as many as he touched were made completely whole. In the ascension, the disciples were freaking out. He touched them and brought peace. They brought the blind to him in Mark the 20th chapter. In Mark the 7th, the, the deaf, a, a deaf and dumb man was brought to him. Guess what he did? He put his fingers in his ears. And then he spit, he put, and he took the spit in his hand, and he touched the guy's tongue, and guess what? He cleared the guy's hearing out so he could hear. He healed his tongue so that he could speak. I mean, how cool is that? There was one guy crying out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And everybody around it was saying, be quiet. You're, you're bothering the things of God. You're bothering the flow of God. And he kept screaming out anyway. He could care less what they had to say. Don't let anybody stop your cry. Don't let anybody hinder your, your, your hunger and thirsting for God and the things of God. You cry out because he will answer those that cry. He is a listener. His ears are open to the prayers of his children. He is a reward of them that diligently seek him. He's just looking for some people to cry out to him. And Jesus said, bring him to me. Watch this. It was obvious he was blind. It was obvious he had been blind his whole life. Jesus saw that, but guess what Jesus asked him? What do you want me to do? See, a lot of times I think we assume that God knows everything and we don't practice our power of prayer. I think we think about it. I think maybe we journal it. But as far as actually verbally speaking, we, we have a tough time spending any time in prayer. Listen, the Bible says that we have not because we ask not. Things are not happening because we're not asking. What, what does God want you to ask for? One part of the word says, ask of me and I will give you nations as an inheritance. How many of you are asking to be used of God to go to, to, a, to the Gilbert Islands and have such a revival that everybody on the island got saved? Or go to Haiti or sow your life somewhere. What are we asking God for? He said, don't back, ask me anything. Ask, what, what do you want? And the next verse says, ask and, and we'll give it to you. You know what the Greek says there? The first time he says, listen, if you need something for my father and I, ask it. The second time he says, and if we don't have it, we'll make it. How many of God did not stop creating day six? How many of God is still the creative God? How many of God can still create life and health and wholeness? You're looking at a young lady that was declared dead 23 times by the medical doctor, and 24 times she came back to life. God began to restore and create things that have been destroyed. I've been in revivals where I prophesied over a couple, and I said, you're going to have a baby. By this time next year, you're going to have a baby. And I won't, I'll be very careful. Pastor Juan knows what church I'm talking about. After the service, the pastor called me in his office. Very nice. Very, very precious. We had a great revival. We've been back. Both of us have been back. But he said, tonight, you, 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 you messed up. I said, okay. I said, well, what did I do? Because I did a bunch of stuff that night. I was a wild man in the altars. And he said, with a couple, you, prop you prophesied over. She's had most of her female organs removed. It's impossible for her to have children. 
I said, well, Pastor, what do you want me to do? You want me to go apologize to her and just tell her I missed it? He said, no. He said, I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. One year later. One year later. Lenore City, Highland Hills, Church of God. We had a, we a great revival. Sunday morning, Sunday night. Went several weeks. We were on television there. It was an incredible move of God. But after service Sunday night, a couple came up with a little baby and said, do you remember me? Well, no. I mean, I, my Lord, I've been to 300 churches, 50, 40 states, 20 countries, 70 denominations. Preach, preach. I said, I'm sorry, I don't. And they said where they were from and said, we're the one that you prophesied that we would have a baby. And there was the baby. And I said, did you name him Hank? <laughs> He's still in the process of creating miracles. Several years ago, we were downtown, and you can confirm this story with anybody you would like, but we were downtown by the courthouse, and I ran into Jamie Tuttle. I've not seen Jamie. I don't think I've seen Jamie since. That's Judy Jacobs' husband. And I said, Jamie, what? That is so wild to run into you. I had a dream last night, and I shared, I shared the dream that Judy had a little baby. He gets a real weird look in his face, and Spencer he takes his phone out of his pocket, he dials it, and he hands it to me, and he says, will you tell Judy what you just told me? I said, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll talk to her. So I said, Judy, how you doing? We've been friends for 20, 21 years. We've been friends, traveled with us and sang and ministered before we preached. I said, I said how you doing? She said, good. I said, what's going on? I said, well, I had, I had the craziest dream last night. I dreamed that you had a little baby and blah, blah, blah. And uh, the phone got real quiet, and all of a sudden I, 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 said, I said, she's not there. And I hand the phone back to, to, to Jamie, and, and Jamie said, she's crying. And she said, we got a bad report. So we got a bad report. So there's, there's a challenge with, with, with children, there's a challenge, all that. And I said, well, Jamie, I don't know about all of that, but I know what I dreamed. The next two or three days, she went to the doctor. And Kim, she was pregnant. Had a beautiful baby. She's had two babies since then. See, God is still in the creative. So you may feel like that my body cannot produce, my ministry cannot produce, my work. Oh, yeah, they can. Little as much if God is in it. Listen, you get God involved in what you're doing, great, incredible things can happen, but you've got to have the guts and the courage to ask him for some stuff. I want to conclude, and I'll, I'll go ahead and conclude with this, although so many things he touched the coffin, he touched the, the deaf and dumb. The Bible says he went everywhere healing all that were sick by the devil, oppressed by the devil. But this is what I want to, I want to close with. Every time without exception that God touched somebody, they were changed. And then we find places where people make up their mind, they're going to touch God. And depending upon the intensity and the faith and the facts that you have fueling your fire will determine what you receive from God. There is nothing more frustrating than a doctor looking at you and saying, I don't have a clue what's wrong with you. There's nothing more frustrating than having a hundred upper GIs and 30 lower GIs and a scope down your belly 20 times, having a brain scan, having a CAT scan, having every single test die put in your body, turned upside down and held there for 24 hours to watch and see what your body fluids were doing. There's nothing more frustrating 35 years later being sick for a doctor to look at you and said, I don't, I don't, I cannot tell you what's wrong with you. 
This lady had spent every dollar that she had. There was no money left. And when you run out of money, the doctors don't want to see you. They didn't have insurance in those days. And she walked away from the doctors. I, I can't even, I can't even, can you imagine how she felt? I can't imagine because I've been there. She walked away from the doctors. But then she heard about a man that allowed children to sit on his lap. She heard a man visit a funeral and left a celebration. She heard of a man that took a small lunch and fed thousands. She heard of a man that walked on the water and she said, I got to get to that man. Whatever it takes, I've got to get to that man. She was unclean. She was eat up. She was not authorized to touch anybody in public. But she pressed her way through that crowd. Hundreds are wanting to touch him. The paparazzi is trying to get to him. Everybody wants a piece of him. Everybody wants to hear something he has to say. Jarius had just come to him and he said, he said, go, your faith has made her whole. Things are happening all around him. All of a sudden she pressed through and there was something that day that was just for her. He said, every night before I do my father's will tomorrow, I'll hear tonight what God wants me to do. You remember when to Samaria? That night God told him, there's a woman that will, you got to touch. That night he began to ask God, what, what, he got, what's, what he got planned for me tomorrow? And God said, you're going to touch a little 12-year-old girl and she's going to be healed, raised from the dead. You're going to touch a woman that's been sick 12 years and she's going to be healed. Listen, doesn't matter whether you're 12 years old and you're sick and dying. doesn't matter whether you've been sick for 12 years. The moment God touches you, there's going to be a change in your life. Sometimes you need to push through all the junk that's holding you back push through all the stuff that's disqualifying you. What your race, your gender, your past, your 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 fines, your your felonies. I mean, I mean you, you can disqualify yourself and not step closer to God. God's telling you today to push through the crowd, get to him. Make up your mind there's gonna be a connection. Make make up your mind there's gonna be a touch. You should never come to the house of God not expecting something. You should always expect God to visit. You should always feel that, that buzz or that high or whatever you want to call it that the world is so desperately looking for. You've got to connect with God. She touched him. The Bible says immediately she was healed. He looked around and said, who touched me? And the reason he wanted her to identify and to speak out was not for that crowd. It was not for the church a hundred years ago. It was for the church today that today we could hear a story of faith. No matter how sick you are, how much money you spend on doctors, what negative report they give it. If you can get to where Jesus is at, if you can push through your humanism, push through your pride, and push through your selfishness, and push through your criticism and doubt and fear and negativity, and just get positive for a, a moment to say, I just got to touch him. You touch him, there's going to be a drastic change in your life. And then I think of the woman who had so much to be grateful for. She was a prostitute, caught prostitution, brought to Jesus, thrown at his feet, was told by the elders what should be done. Jesus never commented to the elders. He simply knelt down and began to write in the sand. We don't know what he wrote, but every single one of those accusers, from the oldest to the youngest, I mean, perfect birthdays, the oldest to the youngest, walked over, saw what he wrote, dropped their rocks, and split. Walked away. He's writing. He looks around. Woman, where's your accusers? She said, sir, they're not here anymore. He said, neither do I accuse you. Go thy way, in the actual interpretation of the Greek, go thy way and do this sin no more. You're not a prostitute anymore. You're not an adulteress anymore. You're not a drug addict anymore. 
You're not a thief anymore. You're not a liar anymore. You're not an alcoholic anymore. Old things were passed away. All things became new when you touched him. She walked from that place, never sold herself again, never slept around again, but created a place for Jesus to come. Mary and Martha, the Mary of that story is probably the Mary caught in adultery. But on that day when his, her, her brother was raised from the dead, Lazarus, they had a celebration a week later, a week before Jesus crucified, going to the party, got him identified. The, the Pharisees surrounded him, put a, put a death watch on him. But going to that party that marked him, they found him. But at that party, something happened. They got so excited about Jesus showing up, they forgot the normal. Nobody washed his feet. Nobody dried his feet. Nobody put perfume on him he's been traveling this woman went over and washed his feet with her tears dried them with her hair and then took her life savings and broke it didn't just nickel and dime it gave everything that she had anointed him and you know what he said about her he said your name will forget right away but what she has done her name will be declared for centuries to come and here we are 20 centuries, here we are 2,000 years later, we're still talking about Mary and the alabaster box. See, the world, she'd been clean two years, guys. She'd been free two years. She'd been a woman of God for two years, but notice what the world does. One guy said to the other, doesn't he know what kind of woman's touching him? Doesn't he know that she's loose and promiscuous? Doesn't she know that she's a tramp? That's the world. The world will not forgive. Will not let go. Family will not forgive. Will not let go. They always try to remind us of our past. And the devil's very good about it. I'll tell you, I don't know how to deal with your mother-in-law. And I'll tell you how to deal with your aunt, but I can tell you how to deal with the devil. The next time the devil tries to remind you of your past, you remind him of his future. And you tell him, baby, you're going to burn, baby, burn. You're going to be cast in a lake of fire, and you're going to be toast. You're going to be fried. So take that, loser. Go ahead touched him, washed his feet, her worship allowed her name to be talked about for years and years. I don't know what they'll say about me when I die. Probably a year they'll cry, then a couple of years, Pastor Ron Mary, Courtney and Mary have 20 kids, Christine, who knows what will happen there. But here's what I want them to, when I think of my grandparents, all I think about is godly people. I, if I thought about it, I could cry because I love my grandparents so much. When I'm dying, when I'm dead, when I'm gone, I want my family to say he was never intimidated to say what he felt like God wanted to say. And when he worshiped God, he worshiped God like a fool. How cool would that be? What do you want written on your epitaph? Worship God like a, like a wild, crazy bohemian. Wouldn't that be cool? That was on your, your epitaph? Okay, let's, let's conclude. One minute to 12, we can do this. It's important what you put in your heart and your spirit to help prepare you to pursue God. I have on several years in a row, I've preached a sermon from a tree stand. And I've showed you the preparation, the layers of clothing, the correct boots, the correct safety harness, the correct weapons, the, cor the correct fragrance, the correct scent. Location is everything. Stand placement, the way the wind blows, everything. The better you prepare, the more chance you have of harvesting. You've got to get stuff in your life that will help you, that will dress you, that will prepare you to 
to receive the things of God. It's not, it's not about putting on cologne and makeup, and, and I believe you should dress for success. I believe any time uh, you go out, you should, you should probably, you know, make sure your underwear is not hanging out, or if you haven't washed your hair, put a ball cap on, or if you don't want to see anybody, put big sunglasses on and, and put a boom box and walk in like this, and they won't recognize you, I promise. But the things that you need to realize and things that you need to understand and relate and if this had been a typical Pentecost revival that I preached so many years, I would have probably had someone sing a song right before I preached that goes along with the sermon. I was preaching on the rapture, and I'm singing about second coming of Christ. But the words of an old song uh, kind of haunted me this week, and so I want to share the words. I promise you, I won't sing it. Unless you absolutely throw down a demand. If you don't, then I won't. song goes like this. As I begin to share the words, if you know the words, I want you to kind of wave to the Lord and make this your testament. If you don't know the words, you're going you're gonna to learn them. And maybe next Sunday, Paul will sing this for us. Are you ready? Shackled by a heavy bird. Neath the load of sin and shame. Then the hand of Jesus touched me. And now I am no longer the same. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And all the joy that floods my soul. Something happened. And now I know he touched me and made me whole. How many can relate? See, that's just the first verse. See, God didn't want you to stay where you're at. There's a place he wants you to go. Since I met this blessed Savior, since he came and made me whole, I will never cease to praise him. I'll shout it until eternity rolls. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And all the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know he touched me and made me whole said I wouldn't tell it to a living soul I found salvation and he made me whole but I found I couldn't hide the love that Jesus did impart because he makes me laugh and he makes me cry he set my weary soul on fire the day God dipped his pen of love into my heart you ask me why I'm happy why I sometimes always shout because God put something in my heart that I can shout about I met him at an altar the good old fashioned way I met him at a mortar's bench where I knelt down to pray and since then this is my story this is my song praising my savior all the day long blessed assurance Jesus is mine can anybody relate if you could see where Jesus brought me from to where I am today, then you would know the reason why I love him so. How foolish. How foolish to preach and to cry and to quote songs from the past. How foolish. But the word said, I will anoint the foolishness of the preaching of the gospel. I know we've had an altar ministry. I know God has moved. I'd just like to ask you if you would to bow your head and close your eyes just for a minute with me. If you're not where you're supposed to be in Christ and you know it, if you're not where you're not doing the thing you know you need to be doing, making some decisions, you know you need to be making. And today God has pricked your heart. Today God has touched me. 
Job 9 and 21 says, God has touched me. And let me realize my shortcomings. If that's where you're at today, no one looking around, every head bowed, every eye closed, I will not bring attention or embarrass you. But you're not where you need to be with the Lord. Just put your hand up. Yes. 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 I'd like everybody to look at me now, if you will. Every one of us, at one time or another, has either walked down an aisle and knelt at an altar and asked God to come into our heart. That's been a traditional, formal way that the church has just made it easy for you to accept Christ. There's no right way and wrong way to accept Christ as your Savior. There's no certain words you've got to say. There's no certain things you've got to repeat. Here's what you've got to realize. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. There is room at the cross for you. It all begins with your heart feeling it and your mind thinking it. And as your heart realizes, I'm not, I'm not where I need to be, and your mind begins to say, I want to change where I'm at to where God wants me to be. We all have acknowledged that we have failed and come short of the glory of God. We've all acknowledged that sometimes our thought pattern gets out of order. Sometimes our anger, sometimes our emotions, sometimes our depression, our fear, sometimes our, our negativity, sometimes our criticism. We say things we shouldn't say. We, we speak things we shouldn't speak. We go places we shouldn't go. We watch things we shouldn't watch. And we find ourselves being t torn away from things of God. But he said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you'll hear that knock and open the door, I'll come in. And today as you've knocked, as God has knocked on your heart, you've acknowledged that knock by lifting your hand, you've opened the door. And we all acknowledge in Jesus' name that we are sinners, that we have failed God, and we all acknowledge that he is Lord and Savior, and that we need a Lord and Savior. And as we ask him to come into our heart, he does. There's no certain thing we've got to sign, no certain book we've got to read. You're now a part of the family of God. You determine now what you do from this moment. You determine where you go, what you speak, what you say, what you read, who you surround yourself with. This is a moment that will change your destiny forever if you'll, go, if you'll run with it. This is a moment that will change your life forever if you'll run with it. I watched Friday night as a young man, a Harvard freshman, get dumped on by his girlfriend, went home and got drunk. And two hours later, created Facebook, which is now worth $45 billion. He's the youngest billionaire in the world. And he created Facebook because his girlfriend dumped on him. If someone could leave that type of setting and be motivated to do something that phenomenal, what can we in this setting grab a hold of and pull towards us and take every word at face value? God has something special for you. He's not done. Jeremiah said, before I was in my mother's womb, he knew. See, God knew there'd be a bump in the road. God knew there'd be a, a backsliding. God knew there'd be wrong stuff we put in our body. God knew that we might touch the wrong things or speak the wrong things. He's still not sorry he called you. He's still not sorry. He, he spoke to you. 
Sergio shared today before yesterday, felt like that he's, he's, wasted, he's wasted time. God does not hold Sergio accountable for the time he was pondering. From this moment forward, God takes value of what we're doing. God breathes on it, speaks it, and blesses it. Samuel told God, God, the people are rejecting me. And, and God told Samuel, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. And hear me, hear me clear. God does not judge us based upon our fruit. God does not judge us based upon who hears our song, who listens to our story. God judges us based on our faithfulness and obedience to him. If no one ever gets saved in my ministry, if no one ever gets saved singing a song, that's not, that's not for me to ponder. I will stand before God and hear him say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. You brought a bag of groceries to church every Wednesday night. You, you made room in your heart to give gas money to widows and, 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 and those that didn't have any money. You did the right thing. Now I'm going to reward you. I pray in Jesus' name that we would leave this place, our eyes open, watching for an opportunity to be what God wants us to be, to be that positive voice, to be that breath of fresh air, to be that person that would be forward, to be, to be blessed to such a degree that we could help a, a single mom with their groceries, we could pay a light bill, we could help somebody with a car payment, that, that it wouldn't just all be about us. Rick Warner's book, The Purpose Driven Life, the very first sentence in that book I love, it's not about you, it never has been, it never will be. It's always about somebody else. God blesses you so that you can bless others. Grasp that today. Hold on to that today.